0: the topic jumps from one topic to the other, to the other, to the other. And rather than just picking out just one, we're going to miss out on the conversation if we do. So we're going to look at all of the various topics that Jesus talked about. But we'll be, it won't take us too long. We'll kind of breeze right through it. So we're looking at various stages here uh, in chapter 14. Uh, the first stage that we want to look at is verses uh, 1 through 6. So again, if you have God's Word with you, the Bible Let's look at Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. If not, just follow along as I read it up there on the screen. Here's what we learn. One Sabbath, okay, that was their religious holiday, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, one of the religious elite, he was being carefully watched. In other words, he's being scrutinized. There in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy, Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts in the law, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So, taking hold of the man, Jesus healed him and sent him away. What we have taking place here in these first six verses of chapter 14 is we have a setup taking place. There's a setup. The Pharisees have intentionally have intentionally placed a sick man in Jesus' pathway. Why? They are seeking to determine whether or not Jesus will obey the law. Will Jesus follow the regulations that have been written down? That's what they want to know. You see, there's a law in the books, with the Pharisees here, there's a law in the books that states that you are to refrain from working on the Sabbath. If Jesus heals this man, his actions will be interpreted as work, and he will be accused of breaking the law. So the Pharisees, the religious elite, those who follow the regulations, have set Jesus up because he doesn't do things like most people do, at least the religious ones. They're going to find out, okay, is this guy going to break the law? Is he going to heal somebody on the law? The idea of healing somebody, doing a miracle, it's going to be interpreted as work, as work. And I'm sure you're thinking, well, that's kind of a lame law. I mean, shouldn't you want to do good? Shouldn't you, shouldn't you want to help somebody? I mean, shouldn't that trump law? Aren't we thinking that? You know, laws are sometimes crazy. They don't seem to make sense. Speaking of laws, let me just share a few crazy laws in the state of Kansas. Here's one that runs statewide. No one can catch fish with his bare hands. Alright? That's a law. So you guys don't be messing with the fish. Don't be trying to catch fish with your hands, alright? It's against the law. Here's another law. No one may sing the alphabet on streets at night. Now that's the law in Topeka. Okay? Alright, no ABCs. No one may wear a B. In their hat, I don't know where that one comes from, but that's in Lawrence, Kansas. That's on the books in Lawrence, Kansas. Can't have a bee in your hat. And here's my last ones. Okay, this one, I don't know if we've, you may have viola- violated this law, I don't know, but it's statewide. Rabbits may not be shot from motorboats, okay? <laughs> that's a law statewide. You cannot shoot a rabbit from your boat, all right? Crazy laws. The Pharisees have a crazy law. It basically says this. You can't do anything nice and good on the Sabbath because that's, that's working. Well, we're back to Jesus now. So what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus, he heals the man, right? And before the Pharisees could say anything to Jesus, he addresses this and he says this to them. If one of you had a son or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull him out? Now, to summarize, here's what Jesus is saying to these religious people. He says, you know very well, guys, that if your child or one of your animals was in trouble, you would do something about it, wouldn't you? Of course, they're saying yes. That's why they were silent. Remember, the Scripture passage says they were silent when Jesus asked them that question. It's like, well, yeah, I guess probably I would do that. Well, here's what Jesus is trying to get at, okay, from that opening section of verses 1 through 6. Jesus is teaching on legalism and love. The Pharisees were legalistic. They followed the rules. And and, you know, at, at times it's good to follow rules. It's good. But here's the problem with legalism. Legalism is not interested in the person. Rules and regulations are meant to keep a person in check rather than to permit them to do oftentimes what is right. Legalism is not interested in the person. Was Jesus interested in the man who had dropsy, this ill person? Was he interested? Yes, he was. And he wanted to minister. He wanted to heal this man. But the uptight religious elite, they didn't give a hoot about that man. They gave more care to the idea of follow the law, Jesus. Follow the regulations. And if you don't do that, well, then you're not spiritual. That's what they wanted to say. So Jesus is trying to point out, legalism or love, we need to err on the side of love, of love. Speaking of legalism, here's, a, here's an example of legalism. The headline re- read this, and I've seen it in a number of places. It goes like this. In Dubai, Muslim let daughter drown rather than have strange men, men touch her. Okay? A Muslim let daughter drown rather than have a strange man touch her. So it says, the death of his daughter was preferable to to violating Sharia law, it says. He assumed that Allah, the compassionate, the merciful, would be happier with him if he let his daughter die rather than bring dishonor to his family. So there's something to do with Sharia law, that you can't have, I guess, maybe infidels or whoever they were, touch his daughter. And what we learn here, here's what the story says. The kids were swimming in the beach when suddenly the 20-year-old daughter started drowning and screaming for help. Two rescue men were at the beach, and they rushed to help the girl. However, there was an obstacle that prevented the men from rescuing this young lady, and the obstacle was dad the father, he considered that if these, man, these men would touch his daughter, they would dishonor her, somehow violate Sharia restrictions, and therefore, he'd rather have his daughter drown and die than have her rescued. Now, that, that's legalism right there. we got to obey the law. And you can see, if you follow law, law has no no love, no interest for the person. The law doesn't. And therefore, this gal passed away. That's law, legalism. Jesus says, are you going to pursue legalism or love? His choice was love. Well, let's press on. We're at the dinner table having dinner with Jesus. Remember, conversations hop from one topic to another. Uh, we looked at this particular first six verses where Jesus uh, healed this man. Let's go on to stage two. Here's another topic at the dinner table. Uh, we begin in verse seven. I'll follow along as I read that passage. When Jesus noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, Give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place. So that when your host comes, he will say to you, Hey, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. In stage two here, in those verses that we just read, we find the Pharisees jockeying for the best seats. At the dinner table. The closer the person was to the host, greater was his position of honor. What we see taking place is that each of the Pharisees who attended this dinner meal are looking out for self. They're trying to get the best seat. They're trying to get the closest to the head of the table where the host is sitting. What's taking place is that they're tooting their own horn, okay? Trying to look real good. Trying to be the best. They're not seeking interest of others, but seeking the interest of themselves. Here's what Jesus is trying to say at the dinner table. Here's his lesson. Humility is of greater value than haughtiness, okay? Humility is better than pride. And that's what he was observing at the dinner table as these Pharisees were jockeying for the best position at the dinner table. Jesus says, you know, as I look at this, this is crazy. What I want you to do is pursue humility, not haughtiness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says it like this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Again, the lesson is humility is greater value than haughtiness. In stage three, we have another conversation taking place. It begins in verse 12 and continues through verse 14. Again, follow along and I'll read that. Then Jesus said to the host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This particular Pharisee that invited Jesus also invited family and invited his rich neighbors, okay? He invited people who were kind of popular in the community. And the question I asked myself, why did he invite those kinds of people? Again, the the wealthy, the, the religious elite, uh, those who were popular. Well, I think the reason that this Pharisee invited That group of people was because he was looking for personal gain. What will make me look good in the eyes of people? That which will make me look good, he concluded, is to see the type of people that I associate with. And if they see the type of people that I rub shoulders with, then they'll say, boy, he must have it together. He Popular. He must be significant and successful. See, what we have placed here is that this Pharisee was stroking his own ego. There was no sacrifice on his part at all. Because probably the rich, and these well-to-do, they will return the favor. They will invite him over to his, or over to their house. And uh, That'll make him feel even better. One, he invited them, and they accepted his invitation, so he's feeling pretty good. Look at these people. And then, a few weeks later or whatever, he's invited to their house for their big dinner party. Doesn't that make a guy feel good when the favor's returned? You see, he's just looking for himself. He's looking for personal gain. Well, here's the lesson that Jesus wants to share with us from that particular episode. He says, you know, real wealth is measured by those who cannot return the favor. If you really want to experience personal gain, reach down. Be humble, be sacrificial. Invite those who cannot return the favor. And Jesus says, that's where I find personal significance personal gain sacrifice is better than personal gain Jesus says sacrifice is better than personal gain Now that brings us to our last stage in this particular story one of the last conversations around the dinner table it begins in verse 15 follow along and I'll read that let's read verse 15 first of all Jesus says when one of when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Well, let's just pause a moment there. What this guy is saying to Jesus, he says, Won't that day be grand when we eat dinner in the presence of God? Okay, This, this is a future, futuristic expression. One day when we have left and departed this world and we are sitting at the table of God and His kingdom, won't that be a feast? Won't that be grand? That's what this gentleman is saying. And this gentleman believes he will be there. Okay, That's important. This man who's making this statement, no doubt a Pharisee, believes he will be sitting at the table Jesus. Well, Jesus goes on and he says, Well, let me tell you about that grand dinner party. Looking at verse 16. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Well, the custom of that day when it came to weddings is what we have here, the the illustration, the story is about a wedding, a wedding banquet. Uh, The way they handled it back then in those days is they sent out two invitations, and it's kind of the way it's happening nowadays too. No doubt you've been invited to a wedding and you received a card in the mail that says, Save the date, right? Save the date. So you've been uh, warned or you've been invited to this particular wedding and you know the day. You can put it on the calendar. Well, that's what they did back in these days as well. They made it known that, hey, there's going to be a wedding and a banquet on this day. Mark it down. So they would respond by marking that day on their calendar. Then there was a second invitation that was sent out. And that second invitation was sent on the day of the wedding. And that invitation was uh, an invite to come for the meal. Now, they weren't sure what time the meal would be, if it would be around noonish or if it would be about 3 o'clock. Or if it would be an evening meal around 6. They, They weren't sure, you know, because of preparations and so forth. But what they would do, remember, the date's already marked on the calendar, so the people know which day it's going to happen. They just don't know what time they're going to eat. Then all of a sudden, they, somebody comes, knocks on the door and says, hey, the meal is ready. See you in five minutes or whatever. And so they were informed. So these invited guests, they know when it's going to take place. But here we find that there's some excuses offered. One said he had to inspect some property that he bought. That's a lame excuse. Who buys property and then goes and expects it, right? That's not a a swift move, right? But that's what this gentleman did. It's a lame excuse. The second one, he said he needed to test drive his new yoke of oxen. Again, that's a lame excuse. Shouldn't you test drive something before you buy it, right? Don't we do that with our vehicles? Okay. The third guy said he was getting married. Now, that's more of an acceptable. That's kind of more of a good excuse. But who would schedule a wedding day when the whole town has been invited to something else? Okay? It's like saying, okay, yeah, so-and-so is going to have a wedding. Well, let's schedule our wedding the same day. Uh, that doesn't make sense, right? These are lame excuses. this party was to be the party that beats all parties but they turned it down what this story is telling us here is that yes jesus is going to have a banquet okay in heaven there's going to be a party and it's going to be grand great food great entertainment, great fellowship. You do not want to miss this party. It's going to be an awesome get-together. The party is ready. It's being prepared at this very moment as we speak. The party's being prepared. It's getting ready. And an invitation is being And that invitation is being sent to us, okay, all of us. Jesus is saying, I have a party. (laughs) And this is a party that's going to beat all parties. And I want you to be a part of it. And notice, remember the story? I mean, it's the lame. It's the down and out. It's the hurting. It's the sick. These are all invited to this party. So that gives us a window, gives us a glimpse into Jesus' party. Jesus is not looking for the religious elite who dot their I's and cross their T's, who walk a straight line in life. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for those who have humility and say, man, I'm just not worthy of this grand party. And Jesus says, oh, yes, you are. You're invited. Mark the date. Mark the date all are invited to this party. Those who recognize their need. Those who recognize that I really shouldn't be at this party, but but of all people, he invited me. Feel honored. You're invited. But, but, will you have Kind of talked about excuses with the kids here a little bit earlier. I don't need Jesus to forgive me because I'm a good person. In your eyes, you're one of those religious elite. Okay, you walk, you walk the walk. You know, you walk the straight line and so forth. I don't need Jesus. I don't need to be forgiven because I'm a good person. You know what that is? It's an excuse. Is it a good excuse? No, it's a bad excuse. Then I also shared with the kids, I don't have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven. As long as I go to church or as long as I'm nice or as long as I follow something, God's going to say, hey, that's good enough. Good excuse or bad excuse? Bad excuse. Bad excuse. You see, when it comes to enjoying that wonderful banquet that Jesus is now preparing, the invitation has been sent to each one of us. Will you be there or will your excuse prevail? Jesus basically is saying this in this particular story. Excuses or eternity. What will it be? Excuses or eternity. You know what's so wonderful about this banquet? He takes you as you He takes you as you are. And really, the way you get in the door is pretty simple. It's like this. Jesus Christ, I know you died for my sins. And you came back to life for me. And therefore, I place all my faith and my trust in what you have done for me. Jesus, I belong to you. You are my Savior. That's the only acknowledgement he is looking for. Have you made that acknowledgement? Have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? If not, you've chosen excuses rather than eternity. If you're wrestling and struggling this morning, wondering, man, am I a person of excuses or have I really grabbed hold of eternity? If, If there's fuzziness, if there's question mark, always know. I'll gladly talk with you. We can iron this out. It's not complicated. Remember, Jesus welcomes you and accepts you as you are. You have been invited to the banquet of all banquets. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you so much for loving us, for sending your Son, Jesus, to die for us, for forgiving our sin, our wrongs. For, Lord, we know we're imperfect. Though imperfect, you accept us as we are, and you have invited us to come to your banquet. Lord God, may excuses not prevent or keep us from enjoying eternity in your presence. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here on this Sunday morning. You are dismissed.